morning. That was awesome, Colin, I tell you. Um, but I know they're all worn out, but they're also all filled up because that's what youth camp does for you. It fills you up, overflowing. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. We're going to be uh, jumping uh, right here into Scripture real quick in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you want to turn there and get ready. Um, it's great to have a time of worship this morning, loving the Lord and magnifying Him. Um, Matthew, I'm not, I'm not going to read Matthew's uh, account at the end of his gospel, the Great Commission, but he, he ends his account of Jesus giving his disciples right before his ascension the, what we call the Great Commission. Go is, uh, it sounds like in the King James that that's the imperative, but you've probably heard this, go is a participle. It means while going, uh, teach all nations, I think that's the King James, disciple others, uh, make disciples. That's the imperative. Interesting thing about that imperative, that verb, it's only used four times in the New Testament. Now the the noun disciple is like 260-something times in the New Testament. But that particular verb is only used four times in all the New Testament, three times in Matthew and once in the book of Acts. So it is used in that last couple of verses. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. If you uh, do a little bit of word search, if you have that kind of capacity in an, uh, in an app that you have, BibleStudyTools.com will let you do that. You can do all kind of word studies. It takes you back to the verb um, montano, which means this, to increase one's knowledge, to be increased in knowledge. This is the verb about making disciples. To increase one's knowledge, to increase in knowledge, to learn by use and practice, to be in the habit or accustomed to. Habits are part of our lives, aren't they? I guarantee you that everyone in this room has, a, has particular habits that, um, let me put this, uh, that you don't want to break, and there's probably habits that you wished you could break. Now in the mornings, you know, everybody starts their mornings off differently, but for me, it's like robotics. I do the same thing every morning. It's just, I've just patterned it. And uh, what Jesus was saying to them before his ascension is that I want you to teach people and bring habits into their lives. So that's what making disciples is all about, is bringing consistency. What do you do with your life? What are the things you do day by day? This is what we're going to talk about. And it's all about salvation. It's about not only our own salvation, it's about leading other people into salvation. So Paul, he was not part of that group that heard those words that day in Matthew 28. He was not part of the discipleship group right then. But later on, he committed himself to the Lord, and he has a lot to say about discipleship. And this is why we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And something he says is really a profound statement. When he says, I'm going to read this out of three different translations. Be ye followers of me as I also am of Christ. If 
follow me as I follow Christ. In the New American Standard, it's be imitators of me, act just like me, as I also act like Christ. Follow my example as I follow Christ's example. And that's how the NIV, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And when you think about it, he's making a pretty bold statement about where he's at, not just about where Jesus is. But he's really saying, watch me and do what I do because I'm doing what the Lord does. I'm following his example. I'm doing what Christ did. And therefore, if I'm doing what Christ did, it's okay for you to pattern your life in that degree to what I'm doing. Now, in, in three years and some six months, about six months, we really don't know how long the ministry of Jesus took place, a little over three years. Um, the four Gospels cover that. That doesn't cover a whole lot. When you think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the only records we have of what Jesus did, we only got a very, very small sample. And Jesus knew early on who he was. We have his story of his birth. We have stories of his baptism, his call ministry, his 40 days of temptation in, in the wilderness. We have all of that. We have one instance. Do you remember that? One instance between his birth and his ministry that we have of Jesus, right? 12 years old. And, you know, I think he was old enough to know when the party was leaving Jerusalem. So I think he intentionally hid out from them because he had something he needed to do, right? Now, his family was not happy with him. And some of you probably had experience that you left your child at church and uh, halfway home, he's like, oh, no, he left his child at church. I've heard stories of that. Thankfully, we have never done that. But Jesus stayed back and he was in the temple. That's where they found him. He was three days. He was asking questions. He was probing. He, all these scholars about the Bible, about their Old Testament, he was probing and answering, asking questions, and he was just soaking up all this knowledge. Now remember, he did not get anything just because he's the incarnate Son of God. He emptied himself of anything that was a shortcut to getting knowledge or truth. He's going to have to get it the way everybody else gets it. Asking questions, studying. And in that brief statement about when he was 12 years of age, he knew who he was. He knew that he, his father in heaven was God the Father. He had an understanding at 12 that he is the incarnate son of God. But he's growing and increasing in every way possible. I think the last statement, it says that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and favor with man. Meaning this, that everything Jesus did, he did by habit. He did by study. He did by inquiring. He did by listening. And all through his life, think about 18 years, we have nothing about it. 18 years. I would think that during those 18 years, he's constantly studying. He's constantly learning. 
He's soaking in everything he can get because he's about to be commissioned to preach the gospel for three years. You know something else that's interesting about the Lord is that if, if you thought you had three years to do whatever you need to do and you, you were going to die, I think we would be as busy as we could be at least the last six months or the last year. But you never see him in a rush. You never see Jesus having like, I got three years and so many weeks or months, I got to do everything that I can do. He never seems to be in a hurry. In fact, he's had habits that we can really look at, spiritual habits, spiritual disciplines. How do you start your mornings? Anybody here remember how Jesus started his mornings? Those guys would wake up and they'd start looking for him. He was already up and gone. And what was he doing? He had found him a, a solitary place where he was praying. He was getting away from them because he needed to get away from them. I don't know about you, I, I'm one of six kids and I'm not gonna say who it was, but there was one in the family that was not morning person everybody stayed away from her nobody said anything to her it was scorched earth I don't know how it was it's kind of like two or three hours and she was good to go but do not even look at her what are you looking at she's like what did I yeah you was looking at me what is what's wrong with you I know nobody in this room is like that you know I think sometimes no, no I better not say it that way one time, Kelly, I hope she doesn't hear this. She said, and I, and I corrected her, and, and she said, well, I'm not a morning person. I said, well, what's the excuse for the afternoon? And she thought about it just for a little bit. She said, oh, that's, that was cruel right there. That was cruel. I said, well, sometimes it bleeds over into the afternoon. I think sometimes it's just all day long. That What are you looking at? Don't ask me that. Don't bother me. And but... I really think the way we start our mornings has a lot to do how the rest of our day goes. And who can we pattern ourselves after? Jesus. He started his mornings with a spiritual discipline. He didn't want to talk. He didn't want to have all this business of what the disciples, he would dismiss himself. He'd get up before they could awake and he got outside and he was listening to the Lord. He was talking to God and this is the example that he left the disciples. I think the disciples really, i tell you what, on an occasion when they really kind of thought about what was going on, they went to him, and what did they ask him? Teach us how you pray. Teach us to pray. And he gave them this model prayer, but he was really giving them a format as to how they should pray and, and converse with God the Father. And so they said, we want to know how you do it teach us how to pray isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't say to them well, I can't teach you that this got to come if something can be taught it can be learned now I don't know I've, I've said a few times over the last several years when it comes to, to electronics and stuff it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks and I'm the old dog in that statement. There's just some things I don't want to learn. 
to do that. I, uh, I don't care about live streaming. I, I don't care about any of that. And he says, oh, you can get that on Roku. What's Roku? I, don't, I have no idea what that is. Live streaming, we don't. Somebody else might know how to do that. But I don't want to know. That's just more things to have to remember, right? But it, it says if you want to develop a new habit, there's different you can research this. There's different people who says, well, it takes a minimum of 21 days to form a new habit. Most say it takes about two months to form a, to really form a new habit. Depending on some people, sometimes it takes six months. But if they keep doing something, and this is why Paul, who was following the example of Christ and this statement that he made, follow me as I follow Christ. He says, I'm an example of what Christ did. Christ had taught him over three years just an intense tutorial that he brought the Apostle Paul before he did any ministry. He was three years in the wilderness, you might say, abandoned away from anybody else. The Lord brought him into a exact knowledge of what he taught the other disciples. He said, I learned everything from him that he taught the disciples. If you look in chapter 9, before chapter 11, he said this, I have become all things to all people. This is verse 22. I have become all things to all people that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. I've become all things. I've learned how to apply myself to all things. But if you look at the preceding verses, listen to what he said. I am free and belong to no one. This is verse 19. I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, to the Jews, I've become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, you know, when I'm reading this, it's like sometimes I think we feel like we can only reach a certain segment of the population but it seems like Paul says I have developed habits and processes to where I know how to become that witness to those people to the Jews I to uh, those under the law I became one under the law though I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law to those not having the law I became as one not having the law Though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people if by some means I can save some. I've spoken about wrestling this idea. I brought my little red book, notebook up here with me. I don't really pull it out of the library too much. It's probably one of the oldest little items in my library. And I pulled it out for a specific reason. Um, because you're, you're looking at someone who does, really doesn't like to be up in front of people. And here I am wrestling with the call of God. And Brother Carter, E.B. Carter, my pastor, I think he knew that God was dealing with me. He took me to a revival over in Alabaster when it was First Assembly of God. And there was a revival over there. And it was there at that revival that, that summer of 1970 that God dealt with me. And I was like saying, no, I can't do that. I can't get up in front of people. But Brother Carter had a sense that God was dealing with me, took with me with him on that revival trip over 
to uh, Alabaster. And then I shared with him what God was dealing with me. And he said, well, he's called you to preach, so I want you to preach Wednesday night. And I said, uh, I, I don't know how to do that. I'm, I'm going to Bible college to learn how to do that. He said, well, you're called to preach. I said, well, I think, I think I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm not even ready to say I'm called to preach because that sounds ominous to me. And, he's, and he would not accept, no, he says, you, you just get something and uh, you put it together and you share Wednesday night. And, and thank the Lord, we was in a little bitty church in Childersburg, Alabama. So it wasn't, if I made a fool of myself, it wasn't in front of very many people. But here's the title of the first sermon I preached from Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what the title of my... I look at this and I say, man, it's easy to be a Christian. That's exactly the title of that little five-minute sermon I gave. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I, I had no idea of hermeneutics, how to interpret Scripture, how to apply Scripture. But I said, well, yoke is easy. It must be easy to be a Christian. Does God have a sense of humor or what? You know what? In order to overcome something, you have to develop a different approach to it. And if you're not, if you don't feel secure, you just have to, somebody gets on a bicycle for the first time without training wheels. And sometimes it doesn't turn out really good. But if you got to learn something, you just got to go, Right? And what Paul is saying, I've learned to become whatever I need to be in order to share the gospel with the world around me. I refuse to belong to any other discipline other than following Christ. That's what he is saying. I only follow Christ. And as I follow Christ, you follow me. You follow me. That's what he said. There's a line in C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, which is not an easy book to read there's a line in there where uncle screw tape these are this is about two demons that are riding to each other and how they're attacking it's it's, it's really an odd book but it's kind of gives you a little bit of what could be in the background of how we're attacked by evil uncle screw tape is having this con this letter writing with uh, his apprentice demon wormwood and he's um He's reproaching him about allowing his patient to become a Christian. Are you following me? You're getting this. He said, there is no need to despair. This is Uncle Screwtape letting Wormwood. It's okay. You, your, your patient that you was working on became a Christian. It's still hope. And this is what he said to him. There is no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp are now with us. All the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. All of those habits of their old life, if they are not discarded and replaced with new habits, they're telling you something's going to go badly wrong in that setting. We have to crucify the flesh every day, not every other week, 
We have to walk. This means denial. This means sacrifice. It means choosing a greater good than what is around you, and that's easy to do. How about personal worship? The psalmist says in 119, verse 164, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Seven times a day. Now, do you think he actually counted? I think he probably did. There's seven times I'm going to stop and I'm just going to praise the Lord. How about handling distractions? We were probably one of the most distracted generations in a long, long time. We got so many things vying for our attention, right? It says that 8 to 9% of fatal accidents take place because of distracted drivers. Maybe that iPhone you have will tell you how much your screen time is every week and how locked in we may be on a habit that we need to start breaking some habits. What's the Lord's plans for you? Jeremiah 29, 11 is a verse that's often quoted. We know it. It applies to the future state of Israel, but it does say, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So it has to do with God's long-range purpose for the people of Israel, but it does apply to us. You break it down in spiritual disciplines. What does the Lord want for you? What does the Lord want for me? What are, you, what are his plans for you personally? You know, as I was listening to these young people share, there's not a single person on this planet that's that's beyond being recognized as unimportant. Every person on this planet is significant. Created in the image of God. I don't know if you checked the population of our planet lately. There is a running total. And just within this morning, it went past 8 billion and 44 million. And I don't know, it might be up to 50 million, depending on how many births have taken place since we started the service. But not one single life in that 8 billion plus people is insignificant. Every person is created in the image of God. Every person, Christ died for that person. He shed his blood for their salvation. He, uh, his atoning work applies to all mankind. And this is why he says, go to all the nations and make disciples of all nations. Not most of them go into all the world. Do you think that God is calling us to a deeper level than where we're at? To go beyond where we're at, let me put it that way. Surrender yourself today to God's purpose. How do you, how do you want to change your mornings? How do you want to change your days? How do you want to change how you retire at night? Because really how you finish the day has a lot to do with how you start the next day. I remember when we got a black and white television and uh, it was it was monitored very much and we had two channels out of Birmingham but when that Alfred Hitchcock thing came on I headed to bed that was a scary deal there I did I do not 
know why people like to go to scary movies, right? Jaws. Who, who likes to go see Jaws? That, there's no way I'm going to watch that. And then go to the beach and go jump in the water. I have yet to see that movie. Who, who likes to be scared spitless? I don't, I don't get that. And yet, when we, when we retire at our day, if you, if you have something so energizing, soaking of your life, an argument, you know, this is why he says, let not the sun go down on your wrath. Settle your grievances because if you go to bed angry, there's going to be something wrong with your morning. Amen. I, I, have, I can't prove that by uh, a polling, but how you go to bed has a lot to do with how you get up the next morning. And I'm just talking about habits that we have, we have so much at our disposal of how we converse, how we finish our day, what do we do, do we worship, do we listen to scripture, do we read the Bible, do we have something to where we pray for people, we pray for our family, we pray for our children, our grandchildren. However we finish today, I, I guarantee you it's affecting how your morning is going to be. And this is, I think, where Paul is saying to them, says, follow me, follow my example, because I've decided I'm going to follow Jesus in every way possible. I'm only asking you to follow me as I follow him. If you see something in me that doesn't look like the way he would do it, don't follow that. But follow me as I follow Christ. One of the great chapters, one of the great statements in Romans is Romans chapter 12 where he says, you know, I just think God wants us to deal with the totality of our life. What we listen to, what we see, what we converse about. Wasn't it one of the young people said that, uh, that, that God has a particular person for you to marry? And that, and, and I believe that, I, I've I always believed that God had a particular person picked out for Jason and someone picked out for Kelly. I just believe that, pray for that. And there's no doubt in my mind that that was all answered by God. They, they waited till they was 29 years of age was like starting to get worried that maybe we pray too much. You know, it was like, come on, we need grandchildren, come on. But they were both 29 when both of them got married. And they're five years apart, so thank the Lord we now have five beautiful grandchildren. But I just believe that God has a plan so specific for every one of us in this room. And he's not finished with us. Listen to what he says in Romans. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's not a, a good idea. This is how we worship God. And don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Oh, we need to really underline that. Don't, don't cave into the patterns of this world around us. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Can it get any clearer than that? Present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We need to remove the word can't in many ways from our vocabulary. I can't do that. 
it's within the range of what God has called us, we can do all things through Christ. There's the key who strengthens us. We can do all things. It took my pastor to hammer my head into my head that you can do this, Charles, through Christ. You can't do it in yourself, but you can do this through Christ. You have to depend on Him. You have to trust Him. You have to allow Him to help you. You have to allow Him to use you, no matter how much you might think that this is going to be a scary detail. You have to trust Him. And when God calls, when God calls, God always enables. He always equips us. God will never call you to do anything without enabling you with His power to do it. Because He does call us. He will empower us. He is the constant in our lives. I don't know about you, but there's still room for me to develop better habits. I want to carve out more and more of my time for what Brother Lawrence talked about, practicing the presence of God. To worship Him. To focus on Him. Would you stand with me as our praise team comes back up? Does anybody in the room need God to help you develop better habits? For families and for families with small children, it's work. It's just work. And yet, even in those moments, God uses us as parents to help create an atmosphere over our little ones that God's hand is upon them, praying over them, asking God to protect them, praying over their future. We don't know when the rapture is going to take place, when Jesus comes back. He said that only the Father knows that. But we have today. Do you realize it's impossible for you to do anything tomorrow? It's impossible. You say, oh yeah, I, I, I want to do such and such. may you call us to greater habits 
they will find relief in you and comfort in that you have your hand upon their son, you have your hand upon their daughter, and you have not forgotten them. You have not dismissed them. You're still calling. You're still reaching. You're still pulling in our souls to respond to you, Lord, and say yes. Just today, the only day we have to say, Lord.